Background Hosea chapter 6 verse 6 was presented by Ron Julian on August 5, 2015 at Gutenberg College's Summer Institute. Reunion Tanakh and the Gospel of Matthew The copyright for this recording is held by Gutenberg College, Inc. 2015. Gutenberg College is a non-profit organization and contributions may be made at www.gutenberg.edu. This material may be copied and distributed in whole for non-commercial and educational purposes, subject to the inclusion of this introduction. All other rights reserved. PDF notes accompany this talk. The following recording was made in a classroom setting, and technical difficulties resulted in some reduction in sound quality. Okay, so I just have a few things to say. My approach to these background things is I just want to give you the sorts of questions that I have when I approach a passage like this. What are things that I would like to be thinking about? I'm sure you have other things and you can bring those up in your discussion. We've already talked about Hosea. Charlie talked about Hosea. We know that we're looking around the same time as Isaiah and he was speaking to the northern kingdom. The Syrian conquest is what he's talking about, but you also notice that he does address the southern kingdom and speak of the ultimate hope of the northern and southern kingdom that they would be joined together. The passage we're looking at today is different than what we've been looking at so far. We have been looking so far at Matthew's fulfillment passages three passages that are all kind of in the same area and all represent that same sort of problem about what does he mean that this fulfilled this. That's not what we're looking at today. Here we're looking at an example where Jesus is using the Old Testament to make a point. So, and also today you may have noticed today is one of those days when we're only looking at one pair. So our first discussion will be about Hosea, the second discussion will be about Matthew. At least if I read the schedule right. I always have this panicky feeling that I'm going to get up here and start talking and everybody's going to say, hey, Ron, we're talking about that tomorrow. So I hope this is what is happening today. If it isn't, let's just do it that way, shall we? So, Okay, so I wanted to briefly present you what I see as one of the main issues to sort out, which is the use of the word chesed. I'm not going to talk about what it means because that's what Carl is going to do for us later this afternoon. But because really all what I want to do is represent to you that there is a choice to be made. There's, we have to think about the way this word is being used as we look at this passage. I'm not proposing a particular answer to that question. I'm assuming Carl will want to do that this afternoon. So, But you probably notice, if you look at the New American Standard, for example, that their translation of Hosea says, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice, but their translation in Matthew, when this is Jesus quoting that passage, go and learn what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. Loyalty and compassion seem like two very different concepts. So what happened there? What are we dealing with? If you go back and look at the various English translations of just the Hosea passage, you see the same sort of tension. New American Standard says, I delight in loyalty. The ESV says, I desire steadfast love. 
The NIV says, I desire mercy. The NET says, I delight in faithfulness. So, again, what's happening? Why are people heading in these different directions? And, as I say, I'm going to leave Carl to sort this stuff out for us, but I just want you to understand that there has been, in the history of this word, kind of a developing way of thinking about it and kind of a debate about which way it should go. One direction is translations like loving kindness and mercy and that sort of thing. The other direction, at a certain point in the scholarship, the argument was made that the word should be understood to mean something like covenant loyalty and that it related to here God has made a covenant and he is going to be faithful in keeping the terms of that covenant and that sort of thing. So the argument goes back and forth. Is it very much on one side? Is it very much on the other side? Is it somewhere in the middle of all of that stuff? So in our passage, the word shows up twice. If I was reading this correctly, what shall I do for you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? For your chesed is like a morning cloud and like the dew which goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them in pieces by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And the judgments on you are like the light that goes forth. For I delight in chesed rather than sacrifice and in the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. But like Adam they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. So you can see the word shows up twice. So as we're talking about what is it that Hosea is saying in this section, we're going to have to kick around this question of what sort of a word is this and what is he getting at. So rather than argue for a particular way of understanding it, I'm going to leave you guys to kick that around and then Carl can sort us out when he talks this afternoon. I gave some examples. It's a very important word. It's used a lot in the Old Testament. But I just picked a few to give you a feel for some of the sorts of places that it's used. Let me just read these quickly. In Genesis 21:23, Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my offspring or with my posterity, but according to the chesed that I have shown to you, you shall show to me and to the land in which you have sojourned. In Genesis 24:27. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his chesed and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Second Samuel, David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show chesed to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Psalm 32, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, chesed, shall surround him. In 1 Kings, and his servant said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are kings of chesed. Please let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will save your life. And then an interesting one, I think, in Jonah And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in chesed, and one who relents concerning calamity. 
So some interesting examples of places where this word is used and raises some issues. So I guess that I'm signaling to you that from my perspective, kicking around exactly what is this concept seems to me to be an important part of our task in looking at Hosea, especially since it seems to be central in the quotation that Jesus is using, is quoting, the way he's quoting it. I will talk in the second background thing about the Greek word that is being used in the quotation in the New Testament. Okay, a few other things I just wanted to mention. As I say, I see my purpose here as really raising some background questions, the sort of questions that I have. In our passage, in the context of it, we have in verse 7, 8, and 9, the way the New American Standard reads, but like Adam, they have transgressed the covenant. There they have dealt treacherously against me. Gilead is a city of wrongdoers, tracked with bloody footprints, and as raiders wait for a man, so a band of priests murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they have committed crime. I just wanted to comment on all of the sort of background things that may or may not be coming into play here. I'm, again, I'm not answering any of the questions, but there's a lot of discussion about the word Adam in verse 7. Is that Adam as in Adam and Eve? Is this the word Adam, which can mean, I mean, does mean just like a person, a man? Is it possible that this is referring to a place? Because there was a place named Adam, and you'll notice that it says, there they have dealt treacherously against me. So it sounds like, oh, are we talking about a place here? And what would be the significance of that? Because the only place that Adam is mentioned is a place in the discussion of under Joshua when they crossed over into Jericho. Adam is mentioned, but there isn't anything in particular associated with it, some terrible event or something. So what it is that's happening there, is that a place, and is that related? Is there something that ties it together with the discussion of Gilead and Shechem? Robbie pointed out to me this morning that Gilead may be referring not to the overall region, but Ramoth Gilead, which, like Shechem, was one of the cities of refuge. And we have priests being talked about in here, so that may be a part of the background to put that together. But are there specific events that he's talking about? Does Adam enter into these events? Is he saying something about Adam, like Adam and Eve? Is he just saying, like men, they have transgressed the covenant? There are a lot of options there. For, so as we're looking at the larger context and trying to put that together, I just thought I'd mention that there are all these background questions behind it. As I say, I'm not providing answers. I'm big on questions today. I think that's all I wanted to say. I don't have a lot more to say about this stuff. Are there any questions that I could direct to someone else? The Shechem and Ramoth Gilead are the cities of refuge actually given to the priests. They're priest city. Right. 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 Also, cities given to the priests. That's right. You may notice, if you've rummaged around in Hosea, there are places where he has some harsh things to say about the priests. Okay, so, as I see it, remember, the discussion that you're going to have now is about the Hosea passage, telling you that you can't talk about the Matthew passage, but our purpose is to try to sort out what's going on there. So, in a way, I always think about it there's this double-minded thing that's happening. On the one hand, I'm trying to forget Matthew. 
I just want to try to understand what's happening in the Hosea passage. But on the other hand, there's this other part of my mind that recognizes that I'm going to have to go deal with Matthew, so I'm thinking about that as I'm doing it. But what we don't want to do is decide that we already know what Matthew is saying and try to make Hosea say that. We're just going to try to understand Hosea on its own terms if we can and then see where we get. Okay, so go to your groups.